Kripke this fall. She plans to study psychology and hopes to focus her work on anxiety disorders in the future. She is a social justice advocate and participant in uh, numerous community programs such as Planned Parenthood's Teen Council and the Muhammad Ali Center Council of Students. In 2021, she was recognized for her creative writing abilities and was selected to attend the Governor's School for the Arts. Trinity lives at home with her parents and dog, Teddy. When she's not advocating for important issues or writing poems, she enjoys painting and spending time with her family and friends. Welcome, Trinity Wooten, to Solutions to Violence. So, Trinity, let's get started here. Tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up in Louisville? What are your hobbies? Tell us about your family, that information. So I grew up in the east end of Louisville, and I currently still reside there. I live with my mom and my dad and my little golden doodle puppy named Teddy. <laughs> and for fun, I just like to write specifically poetry. And then I also like to paint and hang out with my friends and family and spend time with my dog as well. You attended the J. Graham Brown School in downtown Louisville. It's a kindergarten through 12th grade arrangement and part of the Jefferson County Public Schools. We understand you spent all K through 12 years at Brown. That's, that's very unusual to attend one school uh, in all your years at school. Some folks in the community don't know a lot about the school and, and think it's a school for only academically advanced students. Share with us some of your experience in the sort of atmosphere and, and how were you able to learn there that you may not have learned in other school environments? So because, as you said, I went there since kindergarten, it was a little bit unusual as far as like not really having to meet new people because I kind of started out with like new people in kindergarten and just built like lifelong connections and friendships. So it was kind of like a family atmosphere. And I'd say that is definitely something that I don't think I would have been able to get at other schools because other schools are so much bigger. Like you look at other public high schools like um, Mail and Ballard, and they're just like a lot bigger. So you might not necessarily know everyone within your class. But for me, I knew everyone in my like within my whole school. And I knew all of the teachers and all of the staff. So I definitely was able to build like really close relationships with everyone there. And it was a self-directed learning experience as well. So I don't think I would have been able to get that at other schools because like the teachers were very hand off. And I know that some other schools are very like structured. And so they would just basically give us an assignment and we would go off and do it on our own. And if we had any questions or anything like that, they would they would be willing to help, of course, but it was mostly just like doing it on your own time. Well, the population of the school is about 900. This is a small school compared to others in the county system. As a Brown School student, you participated in sports like cheerleading, dance, and tennis. What was the participation in small school sports like for you? Participating in small school sports was a very interesting experience because I was able to do basically whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. So what I mean by that is that in middle school, I never picked up a basketball in my life, but I was able to join the team and actually start. And that's something that I wouldn't have been able to do, I don't think, anywhere else. And then in high school, I was able to become a cheerleader and be on the dance team which is something else I don't think I would have been able to do anywhere else because I've never cheered before or danced in my life. So it's very 
different and unique experience, but I think it's a very beneficial experience because you can do like whatever you want to do as far as sports go. Okay, so the Brown School is noted because the culture and the philosophy is somewhat different than that of most of the traditional JCPS schools. For example, students often address teachers by their first name instead of the traditional Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. Some view students addressing teachers by their first name as disrespectful. Can you explain the philosophy behind the rather unique Brown School culture? So I'm not 100% sure why we call our teachers by our first name. The philosophy that I can think of is just to kind of prepare us for like the adult world because oftentimes I don't think you really will address someone as Mr. and Mrs. or as I've seen in my experience of going out into the adult world, I haven't really had to do that with many people. And so like, I guess it's like just to prepare us for that. Like when you get a job, you're not necessarily going to call your coworkers most of the time by Mr. and Mrs. So I think it's just to get that familiarity of that. So the research evidenced the fact that 94% of Brown School graduates return to college for a second year. An article entitled High School Graduation Rate Data for Louisville Jefferson County demonstrates that only 26.30% of JCPS high school graduates received a college diploma. Yet over the years, the J. Graham Brown School has received more than its share of criticism. What's that all about? Well, I feel like any school is going to receive criticism because um, not every school like fits for everyone. So I think one big thing is that we are like self-directed learning and that type of learning doesn't fit everyone. So like some people do like that more sort of structured type learning. And then like, if you come to Brown, I can see why people would dislike that and criticize that. So that's the biggest thing that I've heard personally, but- um, Okay. Attorney, you were involved in a number of exciting other extracurricular activities, but your academic work while in high school is pretty impressive. Your grades were pretty good. I assume that you, the fact that uh, you were a member of a beta club and National Honor Society, as a part of your academic rigors, you have taken on and accomplished some things called a dual credit path. What is a dual credit path? So dual credit is basically where you can take college credit courses at an actual college and get college credit for it. So a lot of students at Brown will go to JCTC because it's right down the street and it's walking distance. And basically you just sign out of your regular day at Brown and you will walk down to JCTC and take your classes there. I decided to take my classes. I was one of two students to go ahead and go to the University of Louisville. It's a little bit farther, so not many people take their classes there. But I would just sign out around 11 each day and then I would actually be able to like go in and sit in a college class and get that experience and get credit for it. And I like got a school ID and everything. So it was basically like I was a part-time student at the University of Louisville while also being a student at Brown. And how'd that work for you? It worked great because I did, um, I have been at Brown since kindergarten. So I was a little bit nervous with the transition from um, senior year into college because I hadn't really had to put myself out there. So I wanted to get like that big school experience because I will be attending the University of Kentucky, which is a very big school compared to Brown. 
And so it was very beneficial for me to just like meet new people and then also like see how difficult the coursework would be in comparison to Brown. The Governor's School for the Arts, uh, we mentioned earlier, is a prestigious opportunity for students in Kentucky. This is something that provided you a very special experience. Only 28 students statewide participate in that program while living on college campus for a total of three weeks. What is Governor's School of Arts? And where is it and what was your experience there? So the Governor's School for the Arts program is a three-week summer program that's full of like what they call multiple disciplines. And what these disciplines are are just like different types of art. So there's like vocal music, instrumental music, creative writing, which is the one that I was in, and architecture, and there are a few more. And basically you go there, it's at the University of Kentucky, and you get to stay like in the University of Kentucky's dorms, and each day you'll just get up and go to your specific discipline. So like I said, mine was creative writing. So I just went to a classroom every day and basically just wrote from sunup to sundown and got a lot of experience and was able to better my writing because I was surrounded by so many like great individuals who were able to provide me with feedback. And it was just cool seeing everyone's different genres of writing and like um, bettering my writing myself. Well, Brown School also has a community service component built into the program. How does that work? So for me, I gained a lot of community experience through Beta Club and National Honor Society, but then there's also some community service work within your classroom. So in my human geography class, we had an, an assignment where we would have to go out and actually volunteer at like different programs and it all surrounded around food insecurity. So it'd be like you would pick a program that helps get rid of food insecurity within the community. And so, yeah, that's pretty much how that works. And then at Beta Club and National Honor Society, it was just like however you wanted to get your community service hours, but you had to meet like a certain quota of how many hours you got. So you could pick any community service, like how you wanted to do that, any program that you wanted. Okay, so Trinity, let's, let's talk a little bit about your community involvement a little further. Uh, we'll start with the Black Student Union, BSU. Tell us about the Black Student Union and your role with it. So Black Student Union is, well, BSU is the acronym for it, but it's Black Student Union. And it is an organization where um, basically it's just to make Black students within the school. And it's not just Black students, it's also allies as well, just come together and hold discussions of issues that are impacting the Black community, as well as just like creating a safe space for Black students to come and voice their opinions and concerns on certain topics. And my role within it is I was in it um, since freshman year, but when I became a senior, I was a board member. So I planned meetings and I was just more responsible of making sure that everyone felt um, like they were being heard and felt comfortable inside this space. Okay. The state legislature, Trinity, has passed the Senate Bill 1, and that bill will diminish the teaching of Native American and African American history. That's the intent, the intent of the bill in our public schools. It will also diminish the teaching of LBGDQ and women's rights movement in our public schools. What's your views on courses of African-American history, the teaching of Native American history, and the teaching of the LBGDQ and women's rights movement. Are those histories important to both Black and white students? Why? 
I think that these courses are very important. One, because with Native American history, that is basically the basis of this country and that is where this country started. So I think it's important that we learn about Native American history. And as far as um, African-American history and LGBTQ and women's rights, the women's rights movement, I think that's also very important for us to learn about so that people can learn about the history of all of that and see the hatred that occurred to those groups and so that we don't repeat that history in that way that we're more inclusive. Okay, so are there uh, classes on African-American history at the Brown School? There are classes on African-American history. They are electives, so they're not required. I personally would love it if they were required because I feel as though everyone should learn about these topics, but there are um, courses that you can take. Okay. Are there other minority studies uh, at school? I don't, I don't think so. I was, I mostly took courses towards African-American studies, so I don't remember any courses for any other minority studies. Well, another community organization where you spent some uh, extra time is the Muhammad Ali Center in uh, downtown Louisville. You were, and I'm not sure you still are, a member of the Muhammad Ali Center Council. Uh, that was in the 10th, 11th, 12th grade, I think. It's sometimes referred to as the MAC Council or the MAC Council, not to be confused with IMAC. Mm -hmm. What is MAC Council and what did you do there? So MAX is a youth program for students to come together who have the shared interest in activism and just discuss different topics and plan about how we want to go about these topics, how we want to make change within the world. And what I did there was I would just come to meetings every other Wednesday and I would just listen to the different perspectives of students and give my own perspectives on different topics. And occasionally we would be involved within like community service projects and just like community programs. We would go out and like we would do Ollie's greatest day of give back. I think that's what it's called. And we would just volunteer within the community and do things like that. Mm -hmm. What were some of the issues that you all talked about? Um, so some of the issues that I can remember where we talked about um, Native Americans and reservations and how damaging they are and like what we can do to change that. We talked a lot about the protests and the Black BLM movement. And yeah, just like there were just a range of topics. So it's kind of hard for me to remember all of them, but we talked, sure. we basically covered everything. You talked about some uh, solutions that you, you explored. Uh, can you share with us some of the solutions that you all suggested as a group and uh, some that might have been acted upon and, and successful? So most of the time, like we didn't actually act on it. We just talked about it in hopes that when we became older or like, you know, um, had careers and things like that, we would be able to act on it. And mm -hmm. just like as we grew up, like how we would act on these issues. Some issues that, I mean, some solutions that I can think of like with the Native American topic was just like to give back to the Native American community because the his in history we basically took their land and put them on these reservations that don't always have the best resources and so just to provide these resources to Native Americans because it's what they deserve. 
Now, what did the whole experience of uh, Mac do for you? Um, the experience of the Max program was very beneficial to me. It allowed me not only to just expand my knowledge on different topics, but it also gave me um, different connections and lifelong connections that I will carry on forever. I still talk to people who I knew in the program freshman year and senior year and just throughout. And it really just gave me like another like family-like group that I will hold on to forever. And just being able to talk to people who are like-minded, it was just very beneficial to me. Mm -hmm. Well, we understand that uh, there's also something called the Teen Council sponsored by Planned Parenthood. What, what is uh, Teen Council and, and what was uh, your role in it? So Teen Council is a peer-led sex education program. So we basically will learn about different sex education topics. So we'll learn about healthy relationships, reproductive justice, STDs and STIs and so on. And then we'll go out into schools and just the community in general and teach these topics to other teens our age or younger or a little bit older. And um, so yeah, that was basically my role in it. I just helped facilitate and gain knowledge on sex education. So you went out to outside the school to do teaching? Yeah, so we would either go within schools or sometimes like we would go into different community programs. So we actually did a presentation with Max about reproductive justice. And so like we would just basically go where people, if like someone called us and wanted us to come out to their school or come out to their program, we would be there. What kind of response did you have? Overall, our responses were pretty good, like people um, found it very beneficial and we're very grateful that we were able to come out and give presentations. So we received a lot of positive feedback from the presentations that we did. Sometimes um, we would ask to go into some schools and they would say like, no, because they were more conservative. So, so we did receive that sometimes, but overall we received pretty positive feedback. Okay, so teaching sex education taught by students to students sounds like it could be a bit controversial in the minds of some parents and community leaders as well. Were there controversies that you observed? If so, how were they managed and what did you learn about managing controversies as it relates to your teaching of sex education to, to other students? Honestly, I didn't see many controversies within the program because at the places that we were going to teach, they wanted us there. So we didn't really uh, receive much controversy or anything or any negative feedback. But I know that it is out there because some people are taboo about sex education and don't want it being taught because they feel like it doesn't need to be taught. So just how we managed is like we just kept going like we found where people wanted us to be or like where we could teach and we kept teaching and if people didn't agree with us we would just continue going in the areas that we were needed okay so does the kentucky state government restrict topics that can be taught in sex ed classes what are those restrictions do you agree with those restrictions I don't know the exact like restrictions that the government has, but I do know that sex education really isn't taught within schools. And I don't agree with that because I think that sex education is a very beneficial topic and could reduce a lot of STD spreads and 
unplanned pregnancies if it were taught within schools. So, um, yeah. Okay. So you participated in a number of high school extracurricular activities like Beta Club, National Honor Society. It's a volunteer program throughout the year. There's this program called Hip Hop Cares and the We Service Project. Tell us about the volunteers program and the role you took. So we services, um, kind of what I was talking about earlier, it was within the classroom in my human geography class. And it was basically a project where a teacher would give us a certain amount of hours that we needed to complete and it needed to surround around um, food insecurity. So Hip Hop Cares was one of the programs that my group personally chose to um, volunteer at. And it's a program that gives back to the community by providing free food to the homeless community. So what we did is we went downtown under the bypass and we gave out food to those in need of it. Okay. A social entrepreneur program called UCRU. The word entrepreneur is a very sophisticated one that's associated with UCRU. Entrepreneurship is usually associated with the business world. How does entrepreneurship apply to UCRU? And because it's a social entrepreneurship, what do you see as the benefits in a social connection for students? How did social entrepreneurship become part of your portfolio? So entrepreneurship applies to you, crew, because throughout the year, so when I was in it, we basically had to come up with our own product and um, brand, basically. So we chose to sell totes and pins with an eye on it to represent it was called scene. So it was just to basically show that if you're struggling with mental health or anything like that, you are seen and you are loved. And so that's kind of where the entrepreneurship part comes in because we had to be innovative and come up with our own product. And then we had to go out and sell this these products to um, people in our community. And then with the money and the profits that we, we received, we were able to donate um, that money to Centerstone, which is an organization that basically caters to those struggling with mental health. And it became part of my portfolio because I grew a deeper understanding of entrepreneurship and I actually decided to minor in business so that if anything ever happens like um, throughout life where I decide that I want to become an entrepreneur and come up with my own product, I can do that. So that's how Ucrew really helped me and became part of my portfolio. Okay. A recommendation from your Brown School College prep counselor is uh, in response to Brianna Taylor's telling in Louisville, you have been active and present in peaceful protest in the city. What has participating in these very different sorts of community involvement been like for you? Participating within protest in Louisville has honestly been a very unique experience for me. Just seeing people coming together to fight for something so horrible within our community, police brutality, was very uh, moving for me. And just seeing how many people cared about this um, topic was just, um, yeah, just very moving for me. Well, what do you feel you've accomplished by being a part of those peaceful prote protests? I feel like we've accomplished just getting our voices heard and just 
getting other people involved in it as well because we are being seen and heard, you know, on the media and things like that. So just spreading the message that police brutality needs to end and that Black people being murdered within our community isn't right and it needs to stop. Okay, your, your college prep counselor also describes you as one who does not shy away from adversity or conflict. She says that you have the ability to know how to spearhead the message of peace and to know right from wrong in the situation that can become volatile. Why is it important for you to know not to shy away from adversity or conflict? I think it's important not to shy away from adversity or conflict because if you shy away, just in my opinion, I don't think anything will change or happen. So I think it's important to continue fighting for the topics that you believe in so that you can eventually see change because doing nothing isn't going to get you anywhere. So <laughs> what does spearhead mean to you and what gives you the ability to what she calls spearhead a message of peace? and no right from wrong in a situation that can be volatile. Um, to me, being a spearhead is just being someone who doesn't shy away from conflict or adversity and just continues to fight for what they believe in. And to me, it's important to, and what gives me the ability to know right from wrong is because I have to live as a biracial girl within the society. So I see the conflicts within the Black community and how unequal treatment is for Black Americans and how it needs to be stopped and how everyone needs to be treated equally. Yeah, this, this is a little bit of a sensitive uh, question, I guess, but uh, can you give us an example of a uh, conflict that you were able to uh, feel like you worked through by uh, confronting it? Um, let me, see. as far as, are you talking about like being biracial or just any conflict? Could be. Uh, biracial would be uh, an interesting, I think, topic for, for anyone. Okay. So some conflict that I've had like growing up with being biracial is just really having like an identity crisis within myself. Some people would constantly call me white because I am lighter like skinned, even though I was pretty strong in being biracial and really appreciated my black identity as well as my white identity and so having people constantly trying to neglect one side of my identity was pretty hard for me growing up but um, just with time and just um, getting involved in different programs like Max and just seeing how like loved I was and having people tell me that both of my identities are very much valid really helped me grow and become confident in both of my identities. Good answer. Yeah, did you have some uh, some feedback on that or uh, pushback on that? Were you had having to defend yourself in any way? There were sometimes there are like a few people who will continue to like make comments saying like I'm just basically picking on me for having lighter skin. Um, but I just don't let it get to me anymore because I know that the love that I've had within. Um, the black community and the white community is stronger than any of the hatred that people can throw at me. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to take a moment to identify our station. You are listening to Solutions of Balance. Solutions of Balance airs on WFMP Forward Radio. WFMP airs on 106.5 FM here in Louisville, Kentucky. Solutions of Balance airs on Mondays at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. You can listen live stream if you visit us at forwardradio.org and click on Listen Live Now. 
Today's Solution to Balance guest is Trinity Wooten. Trinity Wooten is a recent graduate of Louisville's J. Graham Brown School. She has been awarded a full scholarship to the University of Kentucky and will attend UK this fall. Trinity Wooten takes this opportunity to explain her political activism. So you've talked a little bit about this, but uh, what were some of the things that helped you along the process of, of getting to the, the point where you are now in, in your response to biracial comments and, and just, just uh, your own idea of, of biracial? Honestly, just like my friends and family and just members of the black community and white community as a whole, a lot of my friends, like whenever people would pick on me, they would actually stand up for me and say like, no, she doesn't like just identifying as white. She identifies as both and you need to respect that. And just having that, like seeing that people were willing to stand up for me really helped like um, with that. And then my parents have been really helpful in uh, making sure that I feel comfortable identifying as biracial. And like my mom will buy me shirts that say like, uh, proud to be biracial or just things like that. And just like little things like that have really helped me uh, become comfortable in my identity. Okay, so uh, Trinity, but what happens when you, when your stands on an issue conflict with traditional American values? For example, football players at DuPont Manual High School took a knee during the playing of the national anthem to express their contempt for racism that still exists in American society. That symbolic expression was viewed by many as unpatriotic and disrespectful. In such situations, how do you determine right from wrong? Are you willing to accept the criticism that will come from those who disagree with your stance? I think that you really just have to stick true to your values and um, your stances on different topics, even if they conflict with traditional American values. If you believe that you are right on a topic or a situation, then I think just like sticking with that um, standpoint is really all that you can do. I'm personally willing to accept any criticism that comes from people who disagree with my stance because I feel very confident in my beliefs and feel very confident in what I'm fighting for. So if anyone has an issue with that, I would just continue doing what I do because I'm just pretty confident in everything that I'm fighting for. Okay, certainly a courageous stance. But the research also tells us that young people are more likely to advocate for change than adults. Young adults have not established career. The books composed by Polly Barnard and Polly M. Sweeney Monopoly Capital explains that most U.S. corporations support the status quo. They do not want to see fundamental changes in, within the U.S. economic system. Working for a company that prefers the status quo makes it hard to support the kind of changes necessary to create a fair, equitable economic system. So how do you plan on holding onto those values that advocate for fairness and justice when your employer would prefer that you just keep quiet and do your job? I think that continuing to surround myself with people who hold the same beliefs as me and who are also willing to continue fighting for change and justice will be very beneficial in my adulthood. Just holding connections and relationships with people 
who are also willing to like put up a fight and continue putting up a fight will help me in my adulthood so when my employer or whoever comes to me and tells me to sit back and be quiet i can have a community that's like no and tells me the opposite and just pushes me to continue fighting for what's right okay you've expressed an interest in psychology by taking uh, university of louisville courses with uh, the dual credit plan what place the psychology now have in your higher education plan as the next step in your life moving forward so i plan to major in psychology and pursue a phd in psychology to um, specialize in emotional disorders such as anxiety because that is something that i've struggled with growing up and something that i want to help others persevere through and um, learn strategies to combat it. So that's pretty much what I plan to do with psychology. Okay. Trinity, what would you recommend to other students in terms of getting out into the community and providing services? You've done quite a few things uh, in your high school career already. We know what kinds of things you've done. What would you recommend to other students that they do to provide some of the uh, services that you've, you've provided? I would recommend just finding different programs like I have because those are honestly what helped me become so involved within activism. Um, so finding programs like Max and Teen Council can be just very beneficial in helping you like discover your activist identity. So I would really recommend that for um, people within high school or just you know the youth in general. Any particular ones? Uh, obviously, uh, Max and uh, a number of others. Uh, what did you like about those that uh, you think other people would like? Um, for me, it was just like the fact that everyone came together and kind of had the same mission to like combat the inequalities within our community. So just finding like programs that where like everyone's like share like a common ground. So like. With Teen Council, we all had a passion for sex education and making that available to um, people um, our age. And with Max, it was just combating just multiple inequalities within our community. So that's what really stuck out to me about those programs was just that both of them shared something that I was very passionate for about. Yeah, yeah. All right, coming to the end of your uh, high school career now, is there anything you would do different now that you're you're able to look back? How, would you like to add anything, or what what differences would you like to have had? I'm not. I don't really have many regrets for things that I've done. I think I would just not put as much stress on myself that I did. I would, sometimes thought like I had to be the best at some things, or like just like really was hard on myself about different things. So I would just. Um, make sure that there was time for me instead of because like i really wanted to get involved in as many things that i could which were all very beneficial but sometimes i didn't have any me time and just stressed myself out and overworked myself so just making sure to have time for myself so you've obviously found some some ways to have time for yourself how do you do that what have you discovered poetry has been a big like escape for me um, so I like to write a lot, so I'll just like find time to just write down any emotions or anything that I'm feeling. 
And then just like having friends who get me out of the house and get me involved in just like hanging out and like things that we all like to do. Those have been very beneficial in helping me just get some me time for myself. Well, we have a little extra time and we didn't talk about this, but uh, would you feel comfortable reading some of your poetry? Um, I can find it really quickly. <laughs> All right. Okay. So in GSA, oh. we made these things called chat books, which are basically just um, short little books, just full of poetry that we wrote throughout the program. So I'll read one of my mom's favorites <laughs> which is give us called... a little uh, in, give us a little intro to this where you've always you've said that you're you wrote it for your mom oh, what else can you tell us about it uh, what else can you tell us about it why you wrote it and uh, how it came about so i actually didn't write this for my mom but it was just one of my mom's favorites and uh -huh. why i wrote this was because in the eighth grade when i went to like a football game somebody like basically um, slapped me on the butt. And it really was just like, um, it was basically my first introduction to like sexual assault and like all of that. So that's why I wrote it, just to like put my emotions and like my feelings of that moment like out there. So people who are also going through it can understand like these things aren't right and they can't continue happening. So it's called Growing Up as a Girl in the Society. So. I was told to keep my eyes on my own paper before boys were told to keep their eyes off of me. The first time that I was sexualized, I was in the eighth grade. I went to my first football game wearing baggy ripped jeans, a red shirt, and my innocence. I rarely remember things, but I remember your hands cuffing what was mine. I felt scared and helpless. I turned to society begging for it to say anything, to bring my innocence back, but it didn't. Instead, it told me that I should be proud. I realized in that moment that although unprepared mentally, I had physically grown up in the eyes of the world. I was in the ninth grade when I realized that those with more curves were the ones who were most wanted. So I began buying bras two sizes bigger than I was because society had taught me a year before that a slap on the butt was an act of praise and that I needed to crave being praised. So I did. In 11th grade, I became more involved with boys. Instead of telling him to keep himself together, society told him that because I liked him, he possessed me, that my body was free to use. When I turned to society, I was told that I was unladylike and should have held on to my innocence. But my innocence was slapped out of my hands the minute that I was told to keep my eyes on my own paper before the boys in my class were told to keep their eyes off of me. Powerful. Thank, Thank you. you. Do you have a piece of poetry that you can read for us? What did you say? You have a piece of poetry that you could read for us? Um, that was the piece of poetry. Do you oh, want to hear more? Sure. <laughs> yeah, let's hear another one. It moved so smoothly. I I I, I didn't uh, I didn't see it as different lines. You know. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, tell us about this one too. So this one is called "Waiting for America," and it's basically just speaking on like my identity crisis of being biracial and how like America hasn't really opened up on talking about uh, issues that biracial people struggle with. I keep patiently waiting for America to be ready to speak on issues surrounding being biracial. I keep telling myself that America is not ready to hear about how we don't feel like we fit in. I keep telling myself that one day America will include us for once, that for once we will be the starting five instead of the ones who sit quietly on the bench. I feel selfish, 
but I keep wondering, wondering why God brought me into a world if it wasn't prepared for me. I feel selfish, feeling like I should be talked about in history books because I didn't know my role in the country, my role in the history of this country until I was in the 10th grade. I sat quietly and waited, waited until I was accepted. I accepted that I didn't exist to the world back then, like I don't exist to the world right now. I keep waiting patiently for America to be ready for me. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> are you uh, are you going to publish? Um, I'm not sure yet. My dad really wants me to publish um, things in the future, but I haven't done much writing. I need to get back on it, so I'll think about it. How about your paintings? Um, my paintings are just really something that I do, like, in my free time, just kind of to, like, relieve anxiety and just, like, as a calming mechanism. So I don't really, like, sell them or anything. They're just, like, for me. Let me ask Kennedy. You talked about your involvement in the uh, Breonna Taylor demonstrations, and you explained that it was beneficial, you thought, because of pulling uh, a lot of people together for one cause. So I'm wondering, did you know that those demonstrations resulted in uh, Louisville Metro Council creating the no-knock warrant law? So police force are no longer here. Uh, Metro police is no longer allowed to use a no-knock warrant and knock on people's doors and then enter without permission. That That's now against the law. So I'm wondering how you feel about that law being passed and, and your part in it. I'm very grateful that that law passed so that um, things like what happened with Breonna Taylor can't occur again. But I do think it was just a starting point and that Louisville still has a lot to work on and that we need to continue fighting so that um, police brutality as a whole never occurs again. What do you think some of those things would would be that the city should be doing? Um, Honestly, I'm not sure right now because I feel like we we kind of, we're just at a point where it's just, I don't know, we're just, it feels like, not that we're too far gone because we can definitely do things to make change. But at this moment, I'm not sure how we can fix it as a whole because it's such a huge issue that needs, it's like years and years of like history and just like racism. So I'm not really sure how we can undo all of that because it it would be a lot to like start from. But when I think of something, I'll definitely let you all know. <laughs> well, I'm sure that uh, a lot of what you've been doing already is, uh, is a, a step forward or lots of steps toward the goals that you're talking about and that all of us or most of us are, uh, are hoping and, and, and working toward in terms of uh, racial equality and justice and peace. So um, are there any other things that you'd like to share with, uh, with us or with other students or your friends before we go? I would just say just be kind to others because you never know what somebody is going through and just continue fighting for what you believe in and not have um, not let other people's opinions or uh, feedback get you down. Just continue to be you and fighting. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you. And good luck in in college at UK. Thank you. (laughs) I'll need it. (laughs) Uh, folks, you've been listening to Solutions of Violence. Uh, you can listen live stream by visiting us at forwardradio.org and choosing Listen Live Now. 
We air Solutions of Violence on, on Mondays at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. The Solutions of Violence program that features 2022 JCPS Brown School graduate Trinity Wooden will air again July 19th and 20th. This program featuring Trinity Wooden will be placed in our archives July 20th, 2022. Listen via our archives, visit us at forwardradio.org, choose Program Archives, and scroll down to the Solutions of Violence program that features Trinity Wooden. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our discussion with Trinity Wooden, you can reach us with the following email, solutionsofviolence18 at gmail.com. Before we leave you today, we want to take this opportunity to celebrate the accomplishments of WFMP 106.5 FM radio. We are a non-commercial, all-volunteer radio station now in our fifth year of broadcasting. We feature 10 programs that are broadcast nationally and some 22 programs produced by local producers. If you're interested in becoming a local broadcaster, we'd love to help you get your program on the radio. Go to forwardradio.org and click on contact. If you're interested in, in donating, simply go to forwardradio.org and click on donate. Even though our executive committee, our board of directors, and our producers are all volunteers, it does require revenue to keep us on the air. Because we are a non-commercial, all-volunteer radio station, we depend on you, our listeners, to provide the revenue that helps keep us bringing you quality radio. Thank you for joining us for Solutions to Violence. I'm Jerry McMillan with co-host Jim Johnson and our technical engineer, Carolyn Brooks-Johnson. Our wish for you and yours is wellness, safety, and peace in these challenging COVID pandemic times. Until next time, please keep the peace in your own personal way and help others do the same. Thanks for listening.